Hi, everyone. Great seeing you all. Uh, if you're new here today, uh, welcome to our church. Uh, my name is Aiden. I'm the pastor of Covenant Life Church. Hope you're having a great uh, time so far. Um, hold on. This is... Okay, good. All right. Challenging my muscle here. All right. Um, so I hear that we'll be feasting after the service, so definitely looking forward to, uh, you know, spending time together as a family in Christ, and it's always a great time that we get to, um, you know, come together as a whole church, so I'm looking forward to that. And uh, if you are also uh, celebrating the Thanksgiving with your families, I hope you have a great time as well, uh, and have a good, um, just uh, catching up. Uh, sessions with your families, and you know, just great warm time with everybody. Uh, give me just a second. This is a uh, spinning. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Oh, got it. Praise God. All right. Hope it stays that way. All right. Let's get started now. Please turn with me to uh, Mark uh, 5, 21 through 43. Mark 5, 20, verses 21 through 43. Uh, so a little long passage today, but um, to me, a very uh, deep passage, and uh, this person had a great time uh, studying this passage for us today, so I hope you also get to uh, hear God's voice, and uh, may the Holy Spirit uh, tug at your hearts uh, through this passage. But let me read this passage in its entirety for us, so please follow with me. And then uh, we're going to the time of the word uh, together uh, after we pray together one more time. Mark 5, 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him, implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind them in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of 
her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had uh, gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any, any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. That is God's word. Uh, Let's pray together before we go any further. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your steadfast love towards our church and towards each one of us uh, in different stages and uh, walks of life, God. You are so faithful to us, and um, it's great to be able to celebrate Thanksgiving together uh, today and just really got to remember how faithful you are. Lord, I pray uh, that you would uh, truly fill our hearts right now with gratitude and more vision of you as we hear your word. So we will leave this place more transformed and more willing to obey you in all sphere of our lives, God. I thank you for everybody here, uh, whether in person or joining us uh, via live stream. Uh, May we become more of one church together, uh, week in and week out. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Just going right into the message portion of our service. Um, there's three points I have for us, uh, as usual. Uh, those are, uh, everyone needs the Lord, and everything is under the Lord. And third, have faith in the Lord for everything. And the title for uh, this message is The Lord Over Our Life and Death and Everything in Between. 
First, everyone needs the Lord. Look with me to the first verse of this passage, verse 21. It says, When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. So here's a setting that we're trying to um, build here before we go any further in the story. Uh, In the previous passage last week, uh, we saw that Jesus was in a foreign Gentile region. But today, in in this passage, we see that he is back in his home turf, so to speak, um, which is likely the town of Capernaum and the western coast of Sea of Galilee. And the usual, the large crowd you know, who has seen you know, all the wonderful things that Jesus has done, the, the crowd, you can maybe call them fans of Jesus, uh, they're gathering and crowding around Jesus by the lake. And that's the setting here. That's the backdrop here. And now enters one of the main characters of today's story. So we zone in to who this person is. Um, And we we see that in verses 22-23. It says, uh, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet, and he implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. This is a very desperate request there. But I want you to see who Jairus is uh, in this passage so far. Here is a very important man uh, in the local community. Why? This is a Jewish region. And you can assume that almost everybody in the the town went to a local synagogue every Saturday for the Sabbath service and, and so forth. Uh, and this, na- this man, Jairus, uh, it says he's one of the rulers in the synagogue, meaning he was a man who had authority and recognition in the whole community, not the synagogue, but the whole town. And you can't even call him celebrity. Okay? So, you know, whenever he goes in public, you know, people would recognize him and maybe want to get his you know, autograph or something, because he was somebody that's up there and somebody that's, you know, well-known. Maybe in comparison, you know, a few weeks ago, we had our midterm election, right? And, you know, for our state, uh, Governor Tim Walz has been reelected as a governor. And just imagine, let's say, you know, he shows up at a local Target store, and you're there, and, and he's there with his entourage and, you know, uh, reporters or, you know, whatever. I mean, wouldn't people, you know, no matter how they view him, um, you know, politically, wouldn't they flock to him and, you know, um, crowd around them because, you know, he's important, you know, in the state, right? At least out of curiosity. So that's what kind of man Jairus is. And here we see that his daughter is in critical condition. So in desperation, uh, he comes to Jesus and begs him to heal her. And of course, logically, you know, Jesus would drop everything 
to help him and his daughter. Why? Because he's an important man. He's a synagogue ruler. And this is an important family for the town of Capernaum. So off Jesus goes to help this family you know, with Jairus to his home. But then, here comes a twist in the story. So follow with me to verse 25. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. So on the way to Jairus' home, there comes a woman you know, who has some sort of a menstrual disorder that causes her to basically um, have constant period and uh, you know, discharge of blood in her uterus for 12 years, we hear. Um, you know, what this means is that she's basically on the opposite pole of the spectrum uh, from Jairus uh, in the society. Here's what I mean. Um, you know, her disease basically makes her unclean ceremonially. You know, according to the love, the Old Testament, you know, a woman in her menstrual cycle was considered, you know, ceremonially unclean. And whoever touched her would be considered unclean until the end of the day. So, you know, such woman uh, could not approach the temple, obviously, as well as anybody else during this period, about seven days. Um, of course, you know, there's a similar law for, you know, men too, you know, for a discharge of, you know, different kind. But the purpose of this type of laws in, in the ancient society, which may sound kind of, I don't know, weird at first, but if you see the whole context, there's a, some, some deeper meaning. The, the laws of this kind was designed to um, understand and picture and appreciate utter holiness of God. God is so holy that only those who are pure can approach him, and only those who are pure can stay in the community of God's people. And if you think about it, because, you know, these, these charges are more periodic, uh, this law is not too hard, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of inconvenient, of course, but it's not too hard because after a few days, they can come back to normality. But you see, it's a totally different story for this woman because for her, the discharge is constant. And it says for 12 years, 12 years. So she could not, for those years, approach the temple or any other people in the community. Just put yourself in her shoe. That means she's ostracized. She had to live outside the city line and she had to avoid other people, and in fact, other people avoid her like vermin because they don't want to become unclean. There's such shame there and embarrassment and fear of people in her. And that explains why in the story, you know, we see her sneaking into the crowd instead of, you know, coming, strutting towards Jesus like Jairus did. But she is sneaking in from behind uh, and approaches Jesus that way. So you see, Jairus is desired, and this woman is undesired. Jairus is important, but this woman is not to the point that her name is not given in the story, right? But what's interesting here is that Jesus 
does not follow this um, you know, human man-made social structure in the story. He does not follow the convention of this structure. Because later in the story, we read that Jesus stops in the middle of the road in order to engage with this woman uh, who has discharged of blood. And he speaks very tenderly to her. In fact, you know, he, Jesus does this at the expense of Jairus' daughter. And we see that because Jesus delayed for this woman, uh, we find that Jairus' daughter ends up dying. <laughs> Although, of course, you know, later we see that Jesus raise, raises her back to life. But still, Jesus prioritized this woman over Jairus and his family. Meaning to Jesus, each person is precious as the image of God, regardless of their social status. To put it differently, maybe different angle, this means that each person, you and I, each person is in need of Jesus' mercy and provision and healing no matter what we are, no matter what credential we bring to the table, no matter you know, what we look like externally. Everyone needs Jesus, no matter who you are. And at the same time, what that means is anyone, no matter what background, can find healing and salvation and mercy with Jesus. And when I was in high school, uh, my mom signed me up for a golf class in a community center. And I think she was trying to see if I had a future with golf. And, but toward this May, it turned out that I didn't. That's a sad twist of the story. But my point here is that this class was a very beginning level. And what that meant was um, everyone was terrible. Uh, some couldn't even hit the ball. You know, some could hit it, but the ball would only go forward, you know, maybe a few feet. And some would hit it, but the ball would go, like, the opposite direction um, than they intended. And I was young, and I was ambitious, so I was, like, trying to, you know, beat everybody else in my class. And I think I was better than everybody else. But I know that I was still very terrible. You know, you just cannot compare these guys because we're all terrible. It's the beginning level. But the thing is, you know, most people in this class uh, gladly admitted that they were terrible. And therefore, they tried to heed the instructor closely. And as a result, you know, by the end of this class, after a few months, we all got better because we admitted that we had the need to get better. It's kind of like that with uh, us and God. You know, before the holy God, everyone, every human being is broken. And could I even say terrible because of sin? And because the world is broken and everybody's a sinner. And some of us in this humanity, some of us are gyruses, meaning that, you know, we may think that we are better than others, 
because we look a little better due to our backgrounds or achievements in our lives. And some of us might be like the woman, you know, fully knowing that we are flawed and have problems. But wherever we are coming from, which direction we are coming from, if we really want to experience healing from Jesus, you must admit that you are in need, that you must be humble enough to fall at Jesus' feet like Jairus and the woman did at at Jesus' feet. If we hold on to our outward credentials and how we look and somehow you know, make ourselves think that we don't need Jesus, you will not experience Jesus. We all must acknowledge that we are broken. All of us are in need of God's grace. That's the first point. Second point, everything is under the, the Lord. And now, as we... Uh, move forward in the story. We'll get to know a little more about the woman, um, you know, who had the discharge of blood. So look with me to verse 26. Uh, it says, "And the woman who had suffered much under many uh, physicians and had spent all she had, and was was no better, but rather grew worse." You know, she has been obviously desperate for cure because she wants to get out of, you know, this shame and this way of isolation in, in her life. So she was desperate. But, um, you know, she tried everything to, to get better. But we find out that after all that effort, you know, everything humanly possible, she could not get better. In fact, she became bankrupt and her condition even got worse. But a few verses later, we will see that uh, we are told that she, you know, comes to Jesus and she believed that he could cure her even when, you know, she just touched uh, an edge of his garment. She believed that she would be cured and, and she does indeed become healed instantly, like right away. Again, nothing happened when she tried so hard, humanly speaking. But when she came to Jesus, done. Instant healing. And now, switching gears. Later, we learn about the daughter of Jairus too. And like I said earlier, because Jesus delayed um, because of this woman, you know, the, the, the daughter dies. So now, in this case, it's like humanly impossible, right? I mean, how can you... What can you do about a dead girl? It's sad, but there's no pulse. She's dead. What do you do? It's not possible to cure her. But then, you see something amazing about Jesus in this situation. So we look in verse 38 and 39. It says, They, the Jesus and his companions, came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and you know, wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you weeping and wailing loudly? Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> and when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you 
weep, uh, making a commotion and weeping. The child is not dead, but sleeping. Here we see that um, there's a natural thing going on when people are grieving, right? People are wailing, and it's all natural human, human emotion in, in the face of death, the face of losing somebody precious and and little girl like this. They're all crying. They don't know what to do. They're lost. They're feeling devastated. But Jesus, in this passage, we see that he is totally unfazed. And he has command of the situation. And he is basically telling people that, I know that girl is dead. I know that's why you're sad. That's true. But guess what? This death is not permanent, but she is dead only for a little while, as if she's taking a nap. And indeed, a few verses later, Jesus holds her hand. He commands her to get up, and voila, she gets up. The dead girl comes back to life. Here, what we see, here, what Mark is trying to highlight for us is this that Jesus is absolutely sovereign over our life and death and everything in between, you know, as human ways fail to resolve life's problems. There's a contrast between human ways and the way of Jesus. You know, in the two passages in, in Mark that we studied past two weeks, you know, we learned that uh, Jesus is absolutely sovereign over the storm, and then also the spiritual powers that we saw last week. And now, in this story, we're witnessing that he's absolutely sovereign and he has authority over you know, every bit of human lives. He is in control in every situation of my and your life. To the point that we see in Matthew 10, 29 through 31, it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care or will. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Nothing happens in our lives apart from God's will and care. And because he is completely in control of all of our lives, of course, he can heal any sickness. Of course, he can even bring people back to life from death because he's in command. People have to, resp- even sickness has to respond to Jesus. Even death has to respond to Jesus. He's the king and authority over life and death. And, and ultimately, we see that God has proved uh, the authority of Jesus over death by raising her from the dead, resurrection. Because uh, to be clear, the healing of this little girl in the story was not resurrection, it's resuscitation, right? Because she would come back to life, but she would probably, you know, die again. But the resurrection of Jesus is different in that he came back to life and he would stay like that forever. And the promise of the Bible is that those who believe in Jesus will share that fate that they would come back to life at the end when he comes back. And they will stay like that with new perfect body 
with no more tears, with no more suffering, we will be resurrected, not resuscitated. We'll be resurrected like Jesus because Jesus has defeated death as a man in command over death. What that means is for those who believe in Jesus with their lives, we don't have to fear anything, even sickness, even death. Because he's in control. And to be sure, I'm not saying that there is no healing even this life. Jesus can. He's able to deliver us from illnesses if we ask. But I think what we are to see is ultimate hope for us is not temporary healing. But the ultimate hope for us is that there is a perfect day coming. Because Jesus secured that perfect day for us with perfect body and perfect reality. And that's the real comfort for us. And that's the authority of Jesus for our life and death. Do we believe that? One of my good friends from seminary, um, you know, she posted this um, on her social media. It's a little lengthy, uh, but please bear with me as I read uh, this whole post. I think it's very insightful. So please follow with me. Uh, she said, uh, My parents uh, told me that Grandpa back in China was very sick a few days ago. I felt sad and even regretted that I did not stay home for the Lunar New Year. However, I thank God that my grandpa received Jesus five years ago when I preached the gospel to him. It was a miracle because he had Alzheimer's disease uh, since seven years ago. And this year, I, I had hoped that I, I would be with them and make sure that he was saved. Uh, you know, and God gave me Psalm 23 when I prayed about it Friday morning. Then a friend mentioned Psalm 23 to me in the afternoon on the way to Bible study. So I was more sure that uh, Psalm 23 was the psalm that God wanted to give to my grandpa. So I asked my parents to read that passage to him in his coma. However, a big wave of sadness overwhelmed me before I went to bed Friday night. I cried, I cried, I cried. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 came to my mind, and I sent it to my parents. Before I fell asleep, I looked at the starry uh, sky and said, I will see you in heaven, Grandpa. I then received the message that my grandpa, uh, the message that said my grandpa passed away on Saturday afternoon. And of course, I was sad, but I had the peace that transcended all understanding. I'm sure that after 87 years of life on this earth, my grandpa is in heaven now. And then she quotes, quotes uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through uh, 14. I think I shared that on the screen. It says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who died. 
And then my friend ends her post this way, last paragraph. She said, praise the Lord. Friends, if you're not a Christian, come to Jesus. If your family members or friends are not Christians, grasp the chance to preach the gospel to them. This is the most important thing. Jesus promises that those who believe in him shall have eternal life. God bless you all. I hope you feel the sense of hope that she has in this post because of her faith in Jesus. Meaning because Jesus is in complete control over our life and death and has ultimately defeated death for us in his resurrection. We can be confident and hopeful, you know, even when we go through all kinds of sufferings and bodily aches and even death of ourselves and you know, of our dearest ones because Jesus lives through his authority. And last point, have faith in the Lord for everything. So now, uh, so we wrap up in this way. Uh, we got to see how people responded to the authority of Jesus. And we'll see that there are two groups of how you know, they have, uh, responded to Jesus. Verses 30 and 31, we see one type of group. Uh, it says, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? The tone is um, kind of mocking and even you know, rebuking tone. The, it says it was disciples who said this, meaning there's one group in this crowd where uh, you know, even the disciples responded to Jesus with a skepticism and cynicism even. Even though they witnessed you know, the storm being calmed by the authority of Jesus, they, even though they saw the demoniac, uh, being healed of the, you know, spiritual oppression. Even then, the disciples didn't get it. They respond to Jesus in this way, saying, what are you doing? You know, they're, they're all pressing around you. Like, what do you mean by who touches you? They're basically seeing things only in earthly human ways, not, you know, spiritual ways, uh, seeing what Jesus is really capable of. That's why they respond that way. But look with me that there is the other group of people. And, and this group consists of the woman with a you know, discharge of blood and Jairus. Uh, these people, you know, they display faith. The faith that goes beyond even human logic. That's what we see. You know, the, the woman, for example, you know, she goes through all the trouble to squeeze into the crowd uh, and touch Jesus' garment. And then here's what Jesus says to affirm her. Verse 34, it says, He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. 
Meaning, because she saw what other people didn't see, she gets the healing, not others. And then Jairus, you know, when, when he was told that his daughter had just died, here's what Jesus says, verse 36. It says, But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Faith. Meaning, the woman and Jairus you know, believed in Jesus and his authority over the incurable sickness and even death uh, that defy, the faith that defies you know, human and conventional wisdom. And in response, Jesus acted to deliver them, to heal them. In other words, faith is what activates the authority of Jesus in our lives, over our lives. And that's why God wants us to grow in this type of radical faith for him that would even defy human logic. You know, I shared this story before, but um, let me just share it again just to illustrate what I'm trying to say here. Uh, when I was in college, um, you know, I got into a small car accident, um, you know, with my parents' minivan at the time, you know, in a parking lot. And, uh, and the, as a result, the, the trunk door on the back of our minivan uh, got dented in, and it would not open. And it was a newer car at the time. And, you know, it's been only like maybe a few years since my parents bought it like brand new. So I feel really bad for, for my parents that I, you know, got the dent into their van. And, you know, it would cost like thousands of dollars to fix it. Uh, and so because I didn't have, a, you know, enough money to pay for that, I was like trying to do everything, you know, humanly possible to like fix it and make it, you know, open, like everything. It wouldn't work. Because I didn't have money, but there's only one thing that I had, my faith in God. So I went into my room, and I prayed. I prayed. And then I came out to the driveway, and uh, you know, I laid my hands on the, the, the back of the car, on the trunk door. And I don't know why I decided to make this noise and sound, but here's what I did. I was like praying, like, and I was making this sound like, oh, oh. And I said, Lord, you move the mountains. You say, if I have faith, you can move the mountains. Lord, open the door. And then I reached out to the, the switch of the trunk door. I clicked. Voila. Opens. <laughs> like, no joke. Like, it opened. All the way. I was always in tears. I mean, you know, just think about it, right? I mean, I don't know what I was doing at that time. I was like, I think I was like just jumping up and down or something. I was just going crazy. I was like, oh my gosh, here goes like thousands of dollars saved. Awesome. 
Praise God. But I'm pretty sure maybe, you know, some of us would be inclined to explain it away, saying, maybe it's a coincidence, right? Maybe, like, uh, some other factors played into the situation, so maybe that's what happened. But if you actually experience things like this in your life, you got to actually experience that God is real, that God is working in mysterious ways, and things like this is what you know, make your faith more radical and, and strong and desperate for God because you get to see that he is real. Um, not that you know, everybody has to like, go out to the driveway and you know, start praying for crazy things, but I'm, I'm saying that God does answer our prayers. So what I'm trying to say here is that um, please make it a habit of praying first when something happens in your life. Uh, make it a habit uh, when, you know, inconveniences happen to pray and ask God in faith before you start looking for answers on your smartphone and other human ways because that's our, you know, default, isn't it? Like meaning when you can't find a parking spot, when you are stuck in traffic and you are late for a meeting, you know, when you have difficult people in your life and, and when you know, you have financial problems when, you, when a friend or family member has health issues. And when a friend or family member, um, you know, you are really wanting them to get to know Christ. When you have these situations, instead of jumping straight to, you know, human solutions, make it a habit to plead with God first. That's what faith means. Because Why? The authority of Jesus reaches every single sphere of our lives. When we pray, we activate, we recognize the authority of Jesus into our lives, you see. And to be sure, I'm not saying that you shouldn't try and use human intelligence. God gave us that. But what I'm saying is our habit and attitude should be come to God first. Because he works better than our human logic many times. And when we do have this lifestyle of dependence on Jesus and his capacity and his work and his power, our faith grows. And he becomes magnified as the authority of our lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for... um, this time, Lord, I pray that as we go into um, the time of the song and in response, Lord, I pray to you right now that you'll open up our hearts, um, knock on our the doors of our hearts right now, God, um, so we can really see you at work in our lives and not ignore your whisper and become people who are utterly dependent on Jesus as the true authority over our life and death and have confidence in our lives instead of fretting uh, because we see the lack of our efforts and our ability. 
pray in Jesus' name. Spend some time in prayer before we uh, respond with this song. Spend some time in prayer. Uh, it's one last time. Um, you know, as we uh, just you know think about uh, what we just heard in, in God's word, and um, I just imagine um, you know together uh, of the the. Situations, the real people that we just um, learned about, Jairus and the woman. Um, these are some desperate situations, and guess what? We all of us go through something similar. Um, maybe not the same exact kinds, but things that can really shake our lives um, to the point that we don't know who we are anymore. We don't know where we stand anymore. Um, but that's where. God is calling us to, you know, arouse our faith in Him. Uh, if He's really, really in charge of everything, both life and death, what shall we fear? If He is really the authority of over every situation of our lives, and guess what? Even if things don't turn out that the, the way that we want. The end result, the, the the end has already been written, because Jesus defeated the death for us. The end will be great for those who are in Christ. So why shall we fear? God is calling us to grow our faith in Him, not just the faith that says, "I believe in Christ," because that's what I'm used to. No, no, the faith that says. I'll depend on every single thing for His glory, for my growth. Lord, help me surrender. Help me to go deeper. Help me to um, go beyond the shallow level of my faith. But help me to even abandon my life because I trust that You are in control. That my life is for You. And even if I lose my life. I'll live because Jesus lives, and He's my life. So, can we pray, to pray together for our faith right now? That God would deepen our faith in all the situations that that we face right now. And we've been seeing that no situation in our lives are accidents. God has brought those situations right now so that we will grow in our faith. So, let's pray together. Whatever situation that you can think of right now in your life, let's pray that God would help us to grow through those situations more than us just getting over it. Can we do that? And then I'll close in prayer for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, God, we get to acknowledge the reality of death um, in this passage, and it is definitely not a comfortable topic, but. It is what your word brings up to us today. That death truly is a great equalizer for humanity. Nobody could avoid death, and it humbles us. And we realize that we need help, and we see the one Jesus Christ defeating death for us, resurrecting to new life. New body, 
waiting for us. The day is coming when we will join Him. We will truly defeat death. And we will be joyful forever. Oh Lord, help us to trust this reality. Because if we do, everything else will fall into places in our lives. We'll prioritize what's most important in our lives and abandon things that are not as important. God, I pray for those of us who might be going through some excruciating times right now, um, things that are keeping them awake at night. Lord, I pray that you would comfort them just as you spoke tenderly to the woman with the, the discharge of blood, the daughter, son, my child. Believe, and your faith will heal you. May you strengthen them, God. Meet them where they are. And through this time, may you become a real person in their lives uh, through those experiences, God. Strengthen them. Empower them. Thank you, Lord, for um, equipping us as a church and as uh, your people. If there are those of us who are joining us as um, not yet a believer, I pray that you would uh, meet them as well and help them to understand the gospel and join in the reality of heaven-bound reality, God. Thank you, Lord.